how is it going? How are things? You're very welcome to another episode of Ballin' Kill Buzz. As usual, I am the host, and I don't really disclose my name at this point, but I probably should. Uh, this is a place where you can temporarily escape life's troubles, struggles, and any other things that you want to add in there. So yeah, you can just sit back, relax, take it all in, and avoid your avoid the reality of your life. I chat to all sorts of humans, including myself, life, self-improvement, random stuff as well. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's episode. How did, how did your addiction kind of start to whatever substances? What, what were you actually addicted to? I, I never actually found Everything, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Um, it started when I was quite young, actually. So I would have been drinking quite a bit from the age of about 14, 15. Um, I had no self-esteem. And that's the biggest issue with addiction. You have no self-esteem. You continue to be a people pleaser and say yes. So it went from drink to recreational drugs, to heroin, to crack, and just completely strung out to bits for years. Yeah. And um, was it was it everyone in your circle was kind of doing the same stuff as you? Or did you kind of go off yep. on your own to the more extreme stuff? Well, to be honest with you, the recreational drugs, I mean, you see it even today, like you can't go into a restaurant without somebody sniffing in the toilet, like, um, but the recreational thing was definitely a thing within my friends. But when you don't have that self-esteem to say no, you continue to say yes. And because I had gotten my confidence, say, from drink and Coke, I don't know if I can use that. Can I say Coke? Yeah, oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Um, from drinking coke I got that confidence and I got that kind of a buzz and a kick from I was like oh I, I wonder can I get higher and higher and then eventually obviously I was I was ended up I was at the height of my career air hostessing and there's a lot of drink involved in air hostessing like you're basically in the hotel and straight off in with the drink and I ended up then kind of <laughs> testing myself in a way by saying there was, I was out at a rave actually. And I remember afterwards there was somebody trying gear, heroin. And they were like, oh, this will relax you. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll give it a go then. I mean, there was a stigma around gear as there still is today. Um, You know, oh, that people only do that, that are homeless or that are in bits or live in certain areas around the world. And I kind of had that in the back of my head, but I still went for it. And I didn't get it the first time. So, of course, I had to try it again and again. And that's where my friends dripped off. And I went in another direction then and kind of went off on my own, got in with the roughest, baddest crowd you can imagine. And what was your first time like trying heroin? What was that experience like or any time trying heroin for that matter? Do you know what? It was the first time I didn't get it. Didn't get it at all. I was like, I don't get what the big deal is. How do people get strung out on this? And so I kept trying it and trying it and trying it. And it's like this kind of, because I had so much trauma in my life, it was a numbing sensation and a kind of real, you feel euphoric, but in a kind of, you don't feel any emotions, nothing like that. And once I kind of tried it for the third time, I got that euphoria and I was like, right, this, this is the drug that I want kind of thing. It was numbing my pain. It was numbing my trauma. So I just went for it, kept going for it. And within, I would say, three months, I was strung out. 
and like badly strung out like just oh badly strung out yeah yeah yeah. it was actually my brother that said it to me he was like do you know what you are strung out a bit and I was I was in denial complete denial I was like no I'm not and there's a thing in the addiction community where we all say it'll never get me you know this will never get me but three months in you get to a stage where you have to have the drug or else you're really 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 sick and that's how my brother copped it because he would be quite with it kind of thing, you know. And he was like, you're strung out. I was like, no, no, I'm not. And then, of course, I wasn't getting the high from just smoking it. So then I started injecting it, which led to a whole different thing. That's when I lost everything was when I started injecting it. So it was it was crazy. Within three months, I was strung out a bit. And what was the kind of thing like the even the likes of your brother would have noticed? Like, was it just like high ir- irritability kind of stuff and just being really hard to live with? Is it what, what are the kind of main symptoms like that they kind of saw in you, do you think, or that you noticed in yourself when you were in that stage? Jeepers, I would say more so than anything, the physical sides are you can always tell by the eyes because your pupils are pinned to bits and you're you're obnoxious is what you are when you're high you're just totally obnoxious you don't give a shit about anybody's feelings you don't give a shit about your family you don't give a shit about anything and then when they seen I wasn't going to work I started to um ring and sick all of the time and it's more so a case of being obnoxious knowing that I wasn't going to work and my brother also having friends that was in addiction that knew straight away he was like he copped it he was like you're definitely strung out a bit and not only that I was then caught using in the house and that's when I was kicked out and I was homeless then oh you <laughs> were homeless oh I didn't actually oh I was homeless yeah oh Jesus Christ yeah how, how long yeah. were you homeless for I was homeless for about um going on about two years actually do you know what Dan it was November and it's only the last couple of days I've been thinking about being homeless because you're walking around the streets in the freezing cold and you're sick and you're trying to get your fix and you haven't got a penny you haven't got a pot to piss in I lost everything I literally left that house with the shirt on my back I had nothing and my mother said it was the hardest decision she ever had to make because she had had enough I'd let her dry because I just you have to keep getting money and I wasn't working. So where was I going to get it from? So I kept going to the one person that I knew I would get it from, which was me ma. And <clears throat> I bled her dry, bled her absolutely dry. And I was then caught using in the house and she sat me down. And she said, I can't do this anymore. I just cannot do this anymore. Um, you're on your own. So I literally left the house with the shirt on my back and nothing else. <laughs> Not a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that that's a very tough decision for a mother to make. Oh, like, and, and not like time. And she, I uh, like obviously not a decision she wants to fucking make either. Like, and it's no, it's hard, no. To, it's hard to imagine what it'd be going to like, like how desperate you'd have to be to make that decision. Like, it's 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 just a real, it's a mad situation. No one wants to be in really. Like exactly, and it went like it was a case where it was going on for about five years this was going on so god love her she and god bless her she we've had so much healing since my recovery and she has said to me that that day when I sat you down I never thought those words would come out of my mouth but it was a case of knowing that I had to and she never believed in tough love there was never such a thing in our house as tough love 
but she said I just had to do it and when she sat me down I was like are you for real and I kind of knew she was serious Mm. and but I still thought no 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 she'll take me back but no she was done she was done and it was for her own good like definitely it was for her own good yeah and you have a decent enough relationship with her now either ah listen like this is going on now I'm going into 12 years now so um yeah like that that's the thing about addiction it's the relationships that are fractured and broken apart uh like I had no relationship with my nieces uh, they all kind of just separated away from me for the for the good of their own selves because I was like a chaotic storm in the family wherever I went you can be damn sure there was going to be a shit storm so that's why they all just kind of went, no, I can't have anything got to do with you anymore. Now, my mom would still ring me every now and again and go, how are you doing? And she said that would even kill her because she knew I was on the streets and she knew I was homeless. But it was a case of having to. But all the healing that's been done since, like, I've never been more close to my family than I am now, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um. And do you think that was the the low point, like, to be out on the street? Was that kind of the low point to turn things around? in a sense no. <laughs> that there's a thing within addiction where uh, I remember actually Dr. Phil was saying it and uh, <laughs> um, when do you hit your rock bottom it's a case of how many fucking rock bottoms do you hit like you hit so many and you still get up dust the shoulders off and go let's have fucking out it again like I literally had lost everything um, and I still was like no it still had to get my fix because the sickness is unbelievable it's 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 like your skeleton is trying to escape from your body it's absolutely horrendous so you'll do anything just to feel normal because the high goes and all you want to do then is feel normal kind of thing you know so when I lost the high with the gear that's when the crack started and I was like oh I got the high back again so that was another couple of years do you know what I mean so it went down for a good few years I'd say about seven years and I must have hit about 10 rock bottoms. So I ended up getting on uh, methadone then, which is what they give you for from sickness, from heroin. And I stopped taking heroin, stopped taking crack, stopped taking all of that shit. And my lowest point, to be quite honest with you, Dan, was, was with myself because I had so many deep, dark holes I always talk about this with my followers I've so many deep dark holes that I went down throughout my life and I was just sick of them I was so sick of being depressed and chasing my own tail and having to depend to, to depend on doctors for my medication and and that's when I decided to go into a treatment center and get get it fixed for once and for all yeah and it, it kind of rap well not rapidly changed but it did things got better from there and you didn't go back oh big that. time yeah because yeah. it's a decision that you have to make for yourself because if you don't make that decision for yourself you're making it for other people then what happens is you end up you're going to get a relapse basically if you just go in for other people oh I'm just doing this for so and I seen loads of people in there that were doing it for their partners for their mothers for whoever and I know for a fact they ended up relapsing but when you get to a point where you're like this fuck this I've had enough I went into that treatment center and I was like, I'm going to give this everything that I have got because this is all I've got because um, I had tried to commit suicide just previous to that. So 
that was the lowest point. <laughs> that was definitely the lowest point. When I woke up in a palliative care ward with me dad at the end of my bed saying, please God, take me, not her. That was my lowest point. Yeah. And was that, when When was it that you tried to, just just, just curious, when you tried to commit suicide, was that when you were in the treatment centre, was it? Or oh was God, it? no, this was before. Like this was, oh. this was my driving decision was when I had, um, I'd reached my deepest, darkest toll. I thought like, oh, I can't, there's like a big, another big, there's so many stigmas around addiction. And one of them is that like, oh, treatment centers, you can't afford to get into treatment centers or it's too much work. And as an addict, you think work, I don't want to fucking work, you know? But like, I had just had enough and I was putting so many blockages and boundaries around myself. They weren't good boundaries, they were bad boundaries. Um, where I couldn't see past that. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I just rammed a load of pills down my neck. And next thing I woke up in a palliative care ward and there was women to the left and to the right of me that were trying their best to take their last breaths. And there I was trying to take mine. So that was my biggest decision making. <laughs> there where I woke up and seen my dad sitting there and hearing him whispering like, and he was crying and I'd never seen my father cry. And he was saying, please, God, take me, not her. I was like, fuck this, this is it. I'm, I'm going in and I'm going to give it me all. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's sad to see because I talked to, um, try and think, I think I talked to someone who, who, was, who had an alcohol addiction ages ago. And like just the recurrent thing I hear is just the thing of like, that he kept saying was like, oh, I can't get through this day. But like, and it's it's a tough thing, but I think is one of the messages he was saying that he was taught was just one day at a time. And like that is it's obviously easy to say, but like it's very tough when you're in that moment, you're like, it's ten o'clock in the morning and you're just whatever thoughts are yeah. going what thoughts are going through your head? Like, you know, say even like you're whatever, a hangover from something the night before and you're yeah. completely sober and everything has worn off and yeah, that's the hardest moments of it, like big time like and this is what I just say I like I've so many plans to go into schools and talk to to kids about this as well because like I had started drinking when I was in uh, say fifth year sixth year like I was like I literally was doing it because I didn't have the self-esteem or the confidence to be able to rock my own personality so um it was the drink that that started that was the whole starting process for me and every time, like you just said there, Dan, when I would wake up the next morning and go, oh, Jesus, what did I do last night? You know, that fuck, what did I do? Um, and I, I, I do tell the story where like, yeah, I was dancing on tables, not for money now, just fucking dancing on tables, thinking everybody was jealous of me when in fact they were pitying me, you know. And it's that kind of dread that you have. The, it's not even the next day it's the following day the day after that so what you do is you drink or you drug it up again to bury all of that down and then what happens is you end up having this volcano about to erupt inside of you because you haven't dealt with all the shit that you've been through over the years and just to give you an insight like what happened with me was that set me off um I was drinking with a group of friends and a male friend attacked me and that was the trauma that started me off on my whole benders and all the rest of it like so it was almost like I was trying to fix it in some weird way you know 
so he, he you knew this lad and he just attacked you randomly in, in the in the yeah podcast. sexually abused me like okay. when I uh I was, I was 16 17 so that would have been I mean that's a major age for anybody to be going through trying to figure out who you are as a person and your friend circle and I had just moved we had grown up in Crumlin and we'd moved to Greystones in Wicklow <clears throat> and I've seen you talking about moving as well <laughs> <laughs> and it had a major effect on me because I honestly was kind of upheaved out of what I knew the best into um sorry no you're in, into um into a place where I I didn't know any I thought everybody was really posh and I just thought I couldn't fit in type of thing so what I did was I just started to drink and drug it up and got in with the wrong crowd even at 16 17 and then what happened was this guy who was in the friend circle decided to take advantage of it and what I preach and teach to everybody that I possibly can is no matter if you're drunk drugged up if you say fucking no it's no whether you are drunk drugged up it doesn't matter if you say no no is no so that was the trauma that basically started me off on the whole process of addiction. And was there a thing, what, what was the thoughts around it? Like, was there anything, like I hear some people even say there's a shame. I think even growing up in like a Catholic kind of Ireland, sometimes it's like there's a shame around it. Like it's, it was my fault. Like, was there any thoughts like that? This, oh, bang this on. Moment? Yeah, bang on. There was, Like, this is the thing. <clears throat> I grew up in a very strict Catholic family and my mother is the most Catholic woman you could ever imagine. And uh, the shame around it is horrendous because we weren't taught um, about the birds and the bees as such. Like that wasn't a thing in our, our household. It was like, figure it out for yourself kind of thing. So like when I got out of treatment, I completely verged out of like anything got to do with religion. I just couldn't because that shame as you were just talking about there, had built up inside of me and had caused me to go into addiction because I couldn't face that trauma because I was so ashamed of it. And I couldn't bring myself to tell anybody because I thought it was my fault. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't actually get the words out of me. So I burnt the clothes and everything that had happened in. And I just remember the, the months after that, following that, I just kept drinking and drugged it up and never said a word to anyone because just as you said, that shame and that guilt that you think is yours to own when in actuality, it's nothing got to do with you. It's the person that did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you break it down, it's completely nothing got to do with you. It was the, it was the person. But yeah, it's um, it's very easy because like someone can get caught in their own head a lot with things like that. And and so, you know, it is it's a very easy thing to do when you say you, you turn to the substances then like so. um. It's yeah, it's very very tough. Did you ever did you ever have like a go into any therapy or anything? obviously like addiction therapy? But did you ever have like a one to one therapist or anything about and like that? Or do you know what, Dan? I was able to manipulate every therapist and psychologist out there. I just told them what they wanted to hear. I just wanted to guess that whatever label was going, I just wanted it because I just, you know, I, because I couldn't bring myself to get those words out of my mouth. My family knew there was something going on, but they couldn't quite put their finger on it. So they just thought like I was diagnosed with clinical depression at the age of 16. So um, they just thought it was just, oh, teenage woes or whatever it was, but it was something a lot darker and a lot deeper than teenage woes. 
And every single therapist or psychologist I went to, I would just tell them, oh, yeah, it's just from a breakup. That's all it is. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing big. I was able to manipulate every single one of them. So I would just get the, the drugs that whatever I'm, I'm down the neck. Like I just didn't give a shit. I just was on full self-destruction mode. And I was determined to just destruct myself because I hated myself. Yeah, that that is another common thing. Like just like people just absolutely fucking hating themselves and feeling like guilty because of anything that happened. They just, I don't know what it is. It's a lack of confidence. Like it just breathe. like all the, I haven't talked to many people who are like, you know, have gone through addiction but like anyone i have talked to is just like they never were like fully sure of themselves they're like fully confident and like there's always the yeah. same things keep coming up like and as yeah you said, well the trauma as well it just all adds up and it's so it's it's um yeah it's it's just um i don't know why it's, I, say. I think as well it's 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 uh, it, it's something about Irish families as well do you know that kind of a way I don't know I can only speak obviously from experience from from coming from an Irish family but there's something about that um Catholic Irish family where you just don't say that type of stuff because geez like I I, I couldn't even imagine myself saying that to my mother because I just couldn't it just wasn't even in the realm of thought like and that's why it's important um, for me to do the work that I do in order to teach young girls and boys as well um, to be confident within themselves so shit like this doesn't fucking happen to them because it's rampant even today it's rampant you know and even addiction itself has many different um, there's it's not just like drug addiction or you know there's different types of coke addiction and alcoholism but now it's like social media cyberbullying all that stuff added on top of it which is something i didn't have when i was younger and lord knows what it would have been like if there was social media around when i was like when i was in my teens so it's just a whole different ball of wax altogether these days you know yeah no social media is another is another cunt to add to things like as well it just it doesn't help like it's it's great in its ways but like even when you talk like the cyberbullying is one part of it, but like just for kids, like they're never, it's just this constant thing. Even like the compare, like even when you're, you're comparing yourself with others, there's all this stuff and all they're better than me. And it's just, you can't get away from people. Like, at least no. like, you used to go, not, not that like I grew, I didn't really grow up with, but like for the first few years of my life, I didn't, but like, like before when you just went home, you were away from shit and you could just escape a bit and just whatever. Yeah. Watch a bit of telly or something. But like now it's, now it's, just you're surrounded by this shit all day and it's just it's not yeah. it's not healthy for kids like you know it's not and it's it, my mom I was only talking to my mom yesterday and a 14 year old girl from Greystones committed suicide because she was being bullied 14 like yeah. at 14 that wasn't even in my realm of thought like it just it's crazy and I think as well when you get your validation from social media that's where the problem starts when you get like oh well I'm not good enough and that's a massive thing in addiction as well is the I'm not good enough and when we find ourselves saying I'm not good enough well then we chase whatever it is that makes us feel good enough you know and this is why I I'm so determined and so passionate about what I do because I can literally see mirror images of myself in younger girls and it scares the shit out of me because I'm like do you know where you're headed because I can fucking see it a mile off you know that kind of a way 
Um, but a lot of people are in complete denial. They're like, I only do it at the weekends or whatever. This is drinking out and drugging it up. Like, I only do it at the weekends. It's nothing major. And I'm like, yeah, but are you doing it to bury down trauma? Are you doing it because you don't feel good enough? You're not confident enough? Is that why you do it? Because therein lies a massive fucking problem, you know? Yeah. And I think that is, that is the thing for a lot of people. And even it can be like a kind of subtle thing sometimes. It's like, um, if you're a bit like, socially awkward or even something like as simple as that and yeah. you're like, look i'll have a few drinks and i might be a bit more interesting like so that's yeah. even, and i'll feel a bit more comfortable as well and i'll say i'll be i'll feel like the stuff i say won't be won't sound as stupid when i'm exactly happy. like at that's the age of 16 there. drinking and fields straight vodka with a straw like it's fucking crazy yeah. and i know a lot of people can relate to that and go ah yeah that's just being young or whatever but the the problem with that is if you're doing it because you're trying to fit in or you're doing it because you don't have the confidence to be able to say no, which was, hello, that was my problem. Like I couldn't say no. It was always, yep, I'll do that. Yep, I'll do that. So um, like, yeah, at the age of that, that age, drinking fucking straight vodka out of a straw. Well, like my mother had a clue and I'm still going to mass of a Sunday. Like, <laughs> Oh, really? Fair play for getting up for that. Anyway. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Dragged out of the bed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's um it's an interesting one. Actually, what was I meant to actually ask you is like the hangovers from everything the same, or is it different? Like like a hangover from alcohol and like say a hangover the next day from like whatever crack or gear or something. Would, would they be similar or no? No, it's it's like um. I know I so many alcoholics that talk about, I mean, they're trying to get clean. I've seen them, God love them. And like, I do think of the sickness. That's what I do think of because the hangover the next day, you can kind of deal with that at some kind of a level. But like when you're sick uh, from gear the next day, you might feel groggy. You might feel a little bit, you know, still sleepy, but yet again, you just go at it again with crack. You're just up for fucking days. Like I, I remember my saddest Christmas. I didn't even know it was fucking Christmas. Like I was just, I was high as a kite for a week on crack. And that's what happens with crack. You just stay up for weeks on end. And then like we like we were selling it as well so you, I mean you get into a whole different ball of wax altogether like you've no idea it's all in the book <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah involved in involved in a lot of a lot of heavy shit selling stuff um and then of course when what do you do what happens when you give a shitload of drugs to a load of addicts they fucking take it so <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah it's completely different like there's no kind of hangover as such from gear. It's more kind of a groggy feeling and you just want to have it again, that kind of euphoric feeling. And with the crack, you just stay up for fucking weeks. So there's no real hangover from that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I um, what was I going to say? Yeah, it's interesting just the difference between all of them, like the same with the crack, you're up for weeks, like and stuff like that. So you can see how they'd all kind of affect you differently and like would fucking mess with your head differently. Like, you know, yeah the yeah but it's 
it yeah. is it's mad like I mean the the crack itself like I remember I used to go <laughs> I used to go shopping and all like high as a fucking kite and um I would spend so much money because obviously we were selling it and uh I wouldn't give a shit and because then again like if you're not dealing with your pain with your drop with your trauma you just keep burying it down and soothing it whatever way you can well I can't feel happy without substances and I can't feel peace I can't feel normal as such without substances so what makes me feel normal what makes me feel good is when I take gear or when I take crack and then I feel high and I feel numb and that's where it kind of your whole like your whole brain gets completely mushed and mixed up and I only knew the severity of it when I detoxed off of all of that shit when I detoxed all off all of it I realized the damage that I had done to my whole body like my my actual nervous system like I fibromyalgia because of it like because obviously it affects the brain and everything else and for a full year, I didn't have any emotions whatsoever because your your brain is trying to level itself out. So I had no emotions. I was just like, I was just sitting in a room for a year and I do kind of make a laugh of this. Like for a full year after I got out of treatment, I didn't go outside the house because I was terrified of what I was capable of. And I was also terrified of the world, the PTSD that I had. I was just absolutely traumatized. So I stayed indoors for a full year watching Dr. Phil thinking he was going to send me off to another ranch somewhere. <laughs> and it was only my family that said at one stage, they were like, are you going to do something or, and I was like, okay, right. I have to sort myself out here. And that's when I started to get into all the healing modalities myself because I knew I was able to manipulate counselors and all the rest of it. So I said, if I'm going to heal myself or I've, uh, I am going to heal, I'm going to have to do it myself because I've I've heard all the spiel before and I don't want to sit in a room anymore. I want to do something about it. And that's when I became really active in uh, qualifying myself in loads of healing mod modalities to be able to heal myself and come to being like I'm mad into spirituality. It's what I teach and what I love. So that's what gives me peace. <clears throat> and what what um um when you say healing modalities and stuff how what were the steps that actually you healed from that i'm not actually sure about that what or like what it means what is our healing modalities <laughs> it's like i choose i well i chose to do the um holistic route i didn't want to be put on any more medication I didn't want to sit in a room with a therapist and talk out my problems. I'd done all of that in treatment um, and they had taught us so much about meditation and mindfulness. Um, and that's when I was like, I was hooked on this stuff that made me feel at peace. And I remember getting my first glimpse of peace in treatment. And I was like, this is what I've been wanting all these years. It's just to feel this peace within myself. So all of the work that I had done in treatment, when I, after that, that year <laughs> of watching Dr. Bill, um, I started to watch inspirational and motivational speakers like Dr. Wayne Dyer is a massive inspiration of mine. Um, 
he passed away in 2015 and the whole thing around spirituality and um holistic medicine and all of those healing modalities is qualifying yourself and them to be able to heal yourself by healing others so i do things like um the meditation obviously was a lifesaver for me and just listening to the words of, of, of inspirational people, I just love that. Um, but I do eye movement, desensitization, reprogramming, big word, EMDR. And I also do emotional freedom tap. And they're all like spirituality kind of healing modalities. But I find whatever works for you, and that's a big thing in addiction, is whatever works for you, then work it. And that's what I've done for the past 12 years. So it's worked so far. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the meditation as well, you said, yeah. And how how did the, um, is this, what is the whole idea like of spirituality? Is that is that to just be in touch with your, with your inner kind of self? How, how does that oh, yeah. improve you? To... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I've had experiences in meditation, Dan, that uh, outdo all of the drugs that I put into my body 10 times, 100 times over. I swear it's just it's like this connection because I never got the whole God thing. This God with a beard in the sky. I never got that. And I never got that connection where, oh, you know, your prayers are answered. And listen, whatever floats your boat, and whatever, you know, you believe in. But for me, I just didn't get that connection. But what I did when I started to go into meditation, I felt this kind of almost intelligent force flow through me. And I knew there was more to it. So I started, that's when I started to get into Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you've ever heard of I've heard, of him. Yeah, I've heard of his meditation. Yeah, yeah. he does um, all of that kind of stuff, all of the heart brain connection thing. And you just know that there's something so much bigger going on than just this 3D world. And it's so it's it's just mesmerizing to be able to be in a meditation where you're so connected and you come out and you're just so blissful and you know that there is a higher force at work or in addiction, as we say, a higher power. And you just know that it's at work and it's doing its job. And when you get rid of all of that, like I had so much resentment towards um that guy that did that I had so much resentment to so many people but it's only when I started to forgive and let go and surrender all of that stuff and feel that peace within I knew there was something a lot bigger at work than just me and this 3d world that we see and do you still struggle to like let go of any of the trauma or any nope <laughs> it's all gone <laughs> it's all gone um I over the years I remember the I I was doing the meditation and I was doing all of the the inner work and I still was feeling this anger and I was like okay there's uh, I have to get rid of this and I remember going into a field and screaming at the top of my lungs and calling just names I just like cursing my brain father started just screamed in this field on my own in the middle of fucking Carlo screaming my head off. And I swear to God, when I walked out of that field, I felt in you. I felt like something had just been released from me. So it's the path of forgiveness and it's the path of letting go. And every time I lie, lie down before I go asleep, I don't hold any resentment toward anyone. I just feel this peace and I just continue to instill the I am's, which is massive in spirituality, like 
I am at peace. I am blissful. And when I do that, I just like this. There's no kind of judgment toward others. I don't find myself trying to validate myself with social media or anything. I just have never felt so more at peace and so blissful in my whole entire life. And mind you, I lost my hero, my dad, two years ago. And that was another thing that I had to deal with. Um, and my family were kind of like, is she going to be okay? <laughs> like, because me, I was a big daddy's girl. Um, and what came with that grief was rage. And that's something that I had to deal with over the last two years again, was just getting back into that blissful state of meditation and just knowing that he's with me and that like, I can do anything that I really put my mind to. So um, yeah, all of it's gone. Oh, <laughs> In a roundabout way, it's all gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all gone. Uh, yeah that's nearly everything I have to ask I suppose that's nearly everything ticked off uh, the last thing I ask every guest is is are you happy yeah definitely I'm happy because my dad said to me the year he was we knew he was really sick and he just said to me do me a favor and write that book and just get all that shit out of you um and I did so to be able to have released this book in the past year manifested the shit out of my life. I have never been happier. So yes, I am happy. As always, thanks so much for listening. So much work goes into this every week and it's it's savage to see people actually taking time out of their days to, to listen in and hopefully enjoy it as well. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Don't be afraid to interact with us or drop a DM or something like that. Anyway, take care of yourself and hopefully I'll see you for the next episode. Thank you.